This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reform Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reform views based on the Word of God and the Reform Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. Our scripture reading this morning is from John chapter 6. John chapter 6. We begin our reading at verse 26 of John 6. A couple of weeks ago, we considered the first part of John 6 in our series of sermons through the public ministry of Jesus Christ. Context then being, in the first part of John 6, we find Jesus feeding the 5,000 with bread, earthly bread. Now in the second part of John 6, Jesus teaches the multitude regarding feeding on the spiritual bread. John 6, 26, hear the Word of God. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. And they said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then, that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you, that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life. And I will raise Him up at the last day. The Jews then murmured at Him because He said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that He saith, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Remember not among yourselves 
No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me Even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. We read that far in God's holy and inspired word. We turn now to the back of the Psalter, to the Hotterbury Catechism in Lord's Day 28, which gives us instruction based on God's Word regarding the Lord's Supper. Page 16, in the back of the Psalter, Lord's Day 28, we find the Catechism instruction on the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion. How art thou admonished and assured in the Lord's Supper? Thou art a partaker of that one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross and of all His benefits. Thus, that Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat of this broken bread and to drink of this cup in remembrance of Him, adding these promises. First, that His body was offered and broken on the cross for me and His blood shed for me as certainly as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me, and the cup communicated to me. And further, that He feeds and nourishes my soul to everlasting life with His crucified body and shed blood, as assuredly as I receive from the hands of the minister and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord as certain signs of the body and blood of Christ. What is it then to eat the crucified body and drink the shed blood of Christ? It is not only to embrace with a believing heart all the sufferings and death of Christ, and thereby to obtain the pardon of sin and life eternal, but also besides that, 
to become more and more united to His sacred body by the Holy Spirit, who dwells both in Christ and in us, so that we, though Christ is in heaven and we on earth, are notwithstanding flesh of His flesh and bone of His bone, and that we live and are governed forever by one Spirit, as members of the same body are by one soul. Where has Christ promised that He will as certainly feed and nourish believers with His body and blood as they eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup? In the institution of the supper, which is thus thus expressed, the Lord Jesus, the same night in which He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, Take, eat, this is My body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of Me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. This promise is repeated by the Holy Apostle Paul, where he says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, because we are all partakers of that one bread. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we consider the catechism's teaching on the Lord's Supper, it is important to keep in mind Jesus' instruction in John 6 which we read in our Scripture reading this morning. It forms part of the basis of the Catechism's doctrine on the Lord's Supper. In John 6, however, it is important to note that Jesus is not, first of all, giving instruction about the Lord's Supper. Oh yes, certainly, Jesus must have had the Lord's Supper in mind. And... The words of Christ in John 6 certainly apply to the Lord's Supper. But John 6 is not, first of all, about the Lord's Supper. For if you think about it, John 6 takes place a year before Jesus even institutes the Lord's Supper for His disciples. I remind you that we considered the first part of John 6 a couple of weeks ago when Jesus fed the 5,000, not counting men and women, or women and children, and after Jesus fed those people on the northeastern desert shore of the Sea of Galilee, he went back to the city of Capernaum on the northwestern shore, where many people throng him again, seeking for their bellies, their physical bellies, to be filled with physical bread. And then, even apart from the Lord's Supper, Jesus says, You must eat my flesh, and drink my blood. And I remind you what I explained a couple of weeks ago, that as Jesus explains the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, He shows the people that we eat and drink of Him, the bread of heaven, Not by physical consumption of bread and wine at the Lord's Supper. Not by eating bread and fish as the 5,000 did, or even manna, 
in the Old Testament Israelite wilderness, in, in the wilderness for the Israelites, but we eat and drink the true bread of heaven by faith. By faith. To eat Christ is to believe in Christ. Jesus makes that clear in verse 35 of chapter 6 that we read. I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So that those who believe on Christ, or better, are believing on Jesus Christ, are already eating of Him and drinking of Him before they approach the Lord's Supper formally. In fact, I say unto you, beloved, that you may not approach formally unto the eating of the Lord's Supper unless you are first of all, before the Lord's Supper, believing Him, eating of Him by faith. And then, and only then, in a special manner, those who believe on Christ eat and drink of Him also at His Supper. There are many who stuff themselves today with physical food, Sunday dinner. There are many who partake of the Lord's Supper outwardly, but do not truly eat Christ. That is, by faith. And so I call you again, yes, this morning, in God's house, that before we partake of the Lord's Supper, which will take place, Lord willing, in a couple of weeks here in this church, today, today, before the supper, eat of His flesh and drink of His blood. Partaking of Christ at the Supper, that's the theme of this morning's sermon based on God's Word as explained in the Catechism, Lord's Day 28. First, we consider the sign. Second, the seal. And then finally, the command to partake. In question 75, notice the words admonished and assured. When the Catechism uses those words, admonished and assured, it should be familiar to us if we have been here when the Catechism has explained the sacrament of baptism, the first sacrament. Because in Lord's Day 26, the sacrament of baptism is said to admonish and assure as well. That is language, admonish and assure is language that goes along with the language of sign and seal. The word admonish in German literally means reminded. Those words admonished, reminded, refer to what a sign does. And the word assured explains what a seal does. But first this morning, the sign. The sign is a picture that God uses to remind us. That's what the word admonish means. Remind us of Christ's saving work. Christ would have us be reminded, or as He said, do this in remembrance of Him. So what are we to remember? There are three points especially. First, the sign of the Lord's Supper is to remind us, or help us remember, 
the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for our salvation. Notice the language of question 75, the question itself, one sacrifice accomplished. Those are extremely important words. When the catechism brings up those words, one sacrifice accomplished, the catechism is guarding us against a Roman Catholic error. It'll more explicitly speak against a Roman Catholic error later on, but now already it guards us against a Roman Catholic error of re-sacrifice at the Lord's Supper. At their Mass, the Roman Catholic Church does teach that Jesus Christ is again sacrificed. That His body and blood are literally again broken and shed for His people, and that actually must take place again. The sacrifice must happen again for the remission of sins. And the Catechism combats that error right away in explaining the, in the, explaining the Lord's Supper and says, positive rather, the Lord's Supper is not a re-sacrifice, but it's a reminder of the one sacrifice already made 2,000 years ago at the cross of Jesus Christ. It does not take place at every Mass, but at every Lord's Supper there is a reminder of what Christ has done, past tense. And so, children and beloved people of God, when you are at the Lord's Supper, though you might not yet even be taking of the bread and of the wine with your hands and mouth, God intends, children, you too, with your eyes to be watching and to see as the minister takes the bread and he holds it up for you to see. And as that bread is broken before your eyes, you are to watch that. And as that wine is poured out before your eyes, you are to see it. And that is supposed to remind you of the most beautiful thing to you. That Jesus Christ, God's own Son, would sacrifice Himself with you in mind, breaking His body voluntarily on the accursed cross, shedding His blood, so that blood flowed from His head, His back, His hands, His feet, as He drank the cup of God's Infinite wrath, your hell, when He died on the cross. God intends that our seeing of the broken bread and the poured out wine to be a visual aid that helps us ponder. Yes, helps us slow down from the fast-paced life and the stimulations of the screen to slow down and consider once again with this visual aid that which is most precious to you and me is one sacrifice accomplished on the cross for the remission of sins. What are we reminded of with this sign? First, I said the one sacrifice of Christ Salvation accomplished for us on the cross. 
But secondly, we are reminded at the Lord's Supper that this one sacrifice is the basis of fellowship with God. You see, as sinners of ourselves, we, we are enemies of God. We, we're, we're not allowed to have friendship and fellowship with the thrice holy God. We have no right to pray as we did this morning. Let me make that clear. Not only are we bad at praying of ourselves, we're not very faithful in praying, we're not very focused as, as, as much as we should or as sincere as we should in prayer, but we don't even have a right to pray of ourselves. We ought to be rejected in our prayers. As sinners, we may not come to God's house this morning and worship Him. Again, not only do we feel sinful natures in our hearts that maybe didn't want to come to church this morning and aren't very good at focus worship, but we don't even have the right to come into His presence and worship Him. He, he should say to us, out. We deserve to be treated as His enemies and not His friends. And then finally, not only are we of ourselves not allowed to come in prayer and and worship, but we're not, we're not allowed to come into His presence in heaven. But as His enemies, we deserve hell. But Christ. But Christ. But God the Son in His grace has come. And with His broken body and His shed blood has earned for us fellowship with God. With His life of perfect righteousness, He views us, God views us in Christ as righteous, as friends. And He says to us, come unto Me. He calls us His beloved sons and daughters and gathers us to Himself. That is what we see at the Lord's Supper as well. God gathers us around a table. A table. The table is part of the symbolism of the Lord's Supper when Jesus gathered His disciples, His twelve disciples in the upper room and instituted the Lord's Supper. He did so around a table of fellowship. 1 Corinthians 10.21 points us to the table when Paul speaks of us being partakers of the Lord's Supper of the table of the Lord because a table represents fellowship. When you go home today, many of you will gather around a table, not just to eat, but around that table there is interaction. There is living communion. There is talking with one another. There is fellowship with each other. And so at the Lord's Supper we see a symbol of that. God gathers us around His table for Jesus' sake and has us hear Him and tells us He hears us and He fellowships with us based upon the one sacrifice of His Son. Thirdly, we are reminded at the Lord's Supper 
that as He fellowships with us, He feeds and nourishes our soul by faith in Jesus Christ. That's the emphasis of the Lord's Supper. That is the symbol or sign within the Lord's Supper that is the most striking, ought to be the most striking. And it's the emphasis of Lord's Day 28 as well. Notice question and answer 75 and the phrase that begins with further. Further, that He feeds and nourishes my soul to everlasting life with His crucified body and shed blood. Jesus didn't only die 2,000 years ago. He did for the remission of sins. He didn't only rise again and ascend to heaven. He did that. But it's not as though Jesus now ascended into heaven says, well, the people that I've died for, they're on their own down here below. I have all the blessings of salvation that I've earned for them available in heaven. And here, these people down below have to, you know, on their own, come to know this salvation and, and come to receive all the blessings by themselves. No. Thankfully, no. Or rather, Jesus Christ, as our risen and ascended Lord, draws near unto us, joins us to Himself, and feeds and nourishes our soul with all those blessings of salvation that He has earned. And that's what we see in the Lord's Supper when the elders take the bread and the wine and distribute it to us, God's people. And we take that bread and that wine, and we eat it, and we drink it. That partaking, that eating and drinking, is a sign of that which Christ does for us. First, He gives us faith. The Belgian Confession calls faith the hand and mouth of the soul. So when our hands and mouth at the Lord's Supper take the bread and wine, that is a picture of faith, the hand and mouth of the soul, receiving Jesus Christ. That, realize, is an activity. Not the activity of good works, but the activity of the heart, believing, trusting in Jesus Christ. That symbolized in the Lord's Supper. And when God's people trust In Jesus Christ, there is a nourishment in their soul. A nourishment by the blood and body of our Savior. I want to point out that the Lord's Supper especially reminds us of how we we grow spiritually. Or as... Theologians put it today, how we are progressively sanctified. How are we progressively sanctified? How do we become more holy? How do we have the strength to live a a life of holiness and improve even in that? Well, the, the Lord's Supper symbolizes how. It's not by our own strength. It's not by our works. 
But the Lord's Supper is showing us that it is by faith that when Christ works in me, this faith, the mouth and hand of the soul, turn to Him to receive of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, risen and ascended. All the blessings of salvation resting in Him. I'm given strength. I'm given His power. He works in me to live for Him and not for myself. He nourishes me unto life eternal. Thus far I've been using that word reminder because that is literally the word admonished in question 75 at the Lord's Supper. He, Christ reminds us, number one, of His one sacrifice for us for the earning of all the blessings of salvation. Number two, at the Lord's Supper, He reminds us of the fellowship that He has with us in Jesus Christ. Third, He reminds us of how He nourishes and feeds our souls by faith. But now it's important to understand that while the Lord's Supper is a reminder, while our Lord and Savior is reminding us of these truths, He is at the same time actually nourishing us. That is, while we are partaking of the Lord's Supper, there is a real nourishment that takes place even supernaturally in our souls. When I say supernatural, I do not mean in the Roman Catholic sense that there is a transubstantiation, a changing of the elements of bread and wine to, to, to literal flesh and blood so that we physically eat of those substances. No. But don't go to the other extreme and think that there is nothing supernatural as we partake of the sacrament. It is a reminder, but it's more than a reminder. But for as we are reminded of Christ's work for us and in us, His Spirit so works to nourish us, nourish us during the Lord's Supper. Jesus, come to John 6 now, is not being facetious when He says again and again to the people in John 6 that they must and you must eat of His flesh and drink of His blood. You must be nourished by His flesh and blood. Think about that. Except ye eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. My flesh is meat indeed. Indeed it is, he says. And my blood is drink indeed. The Belgian Confession, on, on the basis of those words of Jesus in John 6, puts it this way, we are not, we're not wrong. In fact, we're right when we say that what is eaten and drunk by us at the supper is the proper 
or actual and natural body and proper blood of Christ. The mouth which eats the literal, the proper flesh and drinks the proper blood of Jesus Christ. It's not this mouth, the physical mouth, but it's the mouth of faith. To try to impress this upon you, let me ask a question. In believing Jesus Christ, even believing Jesus Christ today, do you believe in a Jesus Christ who is only God or also flesh and blood? Do you believe in Jesus in a Jesus Christ that is God and only looked like a man, flesh and blood, and only seemed to break his body and shed his blood? Or do you believe in a Jesus Christ who is very God and continued to be so and took on at the same time very really our flesh and blood? It's not just a story. He really, literally, with flesh and blood, was broken at the cross. Which Jesus Christ do you believe? And you should say, with all my heart, I believe in the Jesus Christ that is not a mere story. And not only God, though He is very God and remains such, but I believe in Jesus Christ, who is literally flesh and blood, whose flesh and blood was broken and poured out very really for me. And He could not suffer for me if He was not that flesh and blood. And I respond to you, Amen. To believe in that Jesus Christ of literal flesh and blood is to eat Him flesh and blood. Before the Lord's Supper, therefore, I call you to eat His flesh and blood by faith. And then at the supper, know that as you come trusting in this Jesus Christ, He very really is feeding you with His flesh and blood through your mouth of faith. Part of this supernatural and even mysterious work of God at the supper, during the supper, is that more and more we are united to Him. Probably the most striking words of Lord's Day 28 are in question answer 76. What is it then to eat the crucified body and drink the shed blood of Christ? It is not only to embrace with a believing heart all the sufferings and death of Christ, and thereby to obtain the pardon of sin and life eternal, but also, besides that, to become more and more united. Let me read that again. To become more and more united to His sacred body by the Holy Spirit who dwells both in Christ and in us. 
as we, by faith, eat and drink the body and blood of Jesus Christ today and at the supper, we become more and more united to Jesus Christ. Let me first explain what that does not mean. It does not mean that again and again we become disconnected to Christ and then have to be reunited to Christ. No. At regeneration, we have already been united to Christ by the living bond of faith. But having been united to Christ, there is a more and more as we eat of Him, as we ponder His broken body and shed blood, as we cling to Him desperately for our forgiveness again and for our life of sanctification, the bond between Christ and us becomes stronger. More and more, we are brought closer to Jesus Christ. More and more we are conformed into His image after His likeness. Eat Christ, beloved, before the supper, in the preaching, during the supper, in your devotions, day by day. Eat Christ nonstop. You can never eat and drink enough of Him or too much of Him as we eat and drink of Him by faith. We are more and more united to Him. Why would you not want that? When you feel weak of yourself, you fall into sin again. Draw near to Christ by faith. Know His forgiveness based on His work on the cross. And be nourished up by Him so that you have strength to live a life battling your sin. As we eat Him by faith, not only are we more and more united to Christ, but we are also more and more united to one another. That's the point of the Catechism too. That as we, that we live and are governed forever by one Spirit, as members of the same body are by one soul. As we partake of Him by faith, before the Lord's Supper, during the Lord's Supper, We are united to Christ, but He is our head. And we are members of the same body in the church. And as members of the same body partake of the same Christ, there will be a closer and closer relationship to one another so that we learn to serve one another better. So we learn to work with each other and not against each other as we seek His kingdom. You feel unity in this church of Jesus Christ? You see the Lord growing us in the enjoyment of that unity? Yes. But some of you say, there's more. More that we need. There, unity can increase here in this church Indeed. How? 
each member partaking by faith of the same Jesus Christ every day. Eat of Him. Drink of Him. Together, together celebrate Him. Worship Him, your Savior. He is who draws you together in one body. The Lord's Supper is a sign, a picture that reminds us of Christ's saving work during which sign there is a supernatural work which Christ performs by faith to nourish us, to unite us to Himself and to one another. But more, it is also a seal. The word seal goes with the word in question 75, assure. The Lord's Supper God uses as a seal to personally assure us be clear, to be precise, not to give us assurance for the first time, but with the Lord's Supper, the Lord strengthens that assurance of faith. In a most beautiful manner, the Catechism describes that sealing or the personal assurance which God gives us with the Supper. In, question, in answer 75, we read, adding these promises, adding these promises, notice two promises. First, that His body was offered and broken on the cross for me, and His blood shed for me. As certainly as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me, and the cup communicated to me. First, the catechism is explaining Christ uses my sense of sight with my eyes. Do you see that bread broken? Do you see that redness of wine poured out? Do you see those elements distributed to you? As certainly as you see them. It's not a dream. It's not an imagination, but as certainly as you see them broken, poured out, and distributed to you, so certainly you can know that Christ's body was broken for you, His blood shed for you, for your forgiveness. That's the assurance that God gives us at the supper. The first manner of sealing uses the sense of sight, but notice secondly, the catechism says further, using the sense of touch and the sense of taste. Further, he feeds and nourishes my soul to everlasting life with his crucified body and shed, shed blood, as assuredly as I receive from the hands of the minister and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord as certain signs of the body and blood of Christ. Do you feel in your hands? The sponginess of that bread and that cup. Do you, do you taste the simple sugars, the carbohydrates in the bread? Do you taste the sweetness of the wine and even feel its effects as it goes down your throat? It's not a dream. It's really happening in time. As surely as you sense 
it in your hands and in your mouth. So surely you may know that Christ has given Himself to you for forgiveness and more for your life of sanctification to nourish you up unto it. What a merciful Savior we have. Marvel at that for a moment. Who understands our infirmities. Who knows that we are creatures that have bodies with senses. And that we're affected by our senses of sight and and touch and taste. And though He doesn't have to, He as a compassionate, understanding High Priest gives us a visual aid. He uses our sense and touch to impress upon us the promises of His Gospel that we might be strengthened in the assurance of our faith. This personal sealing or assurance is not for everyone, of course. Just as the preaching is not a free or well-meant offer for every single person who hears, So the sacrament and its promises are not for the benefit and assurance of every single person in particular who hears. The promises of the Gospel, both in the preaching and in the sacrament, are only for those who partake by faith, repenting of their sins. This is true when the Israelites ate manna in the wilderness. Jesus said, they ate manna, your fathers ate manna and are dead. Meaning they ate the literal manna, but didn't partake by faith. And so received no true life. At the last Passover, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, Judas Iscariot was present. Apparently he partook. The Belgian Confession says he indeed received the sacrament, but not Christ. He didn't receive Christ, for only believers are partakers of Christ. And so I call you to faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. And I call you to repent, not because repentance is equivalent to faith, but because repentance is inextricably linked to faith. And repentance will simultaneously take place with faith. For in believing in Jesus Christ, you will sorrow for your sins, which nailed Him to the cross. As you cling to Jesus Christ, you will turn from your sins, hating them, and believing only in your Savior for forgiveness and sanctification. Therefore, I call you to repent and believe. Come, in other words, holding not to any works. That's illustrated in the supper as well. Your hand is empty. Your mouth is empty. You're not holding to good works. Nor are you holding on to Sinful works. But you are only clinging to Jesus Christ.
for your comfort, righteousness, peace, sanctification, and every blessing of salvation. The command is first to repent and believe. And then the command is to partake of the supper while consciously believing. Christ has commanded, answer 75 begins, Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat of this broken body and drink of this cup. His commands, of course, are not grievous to the believer. For in obeying, in the way of obeying that command of taking and eating and drinking, the believer knows God strengthens our faith, reminds us, assures us, and draws us closer to Himself and to one another. A few applications in knowing that this is a command to close. First, we may not change the elements of the supper. We must do the Lord's Supper as He has commanded. Some imagine themselves wiser than God in withholding the wine or giving grape juice or changing up the elements or including other symbols and pictures in the church and at the Lord's Supper. No. As God has commanded, as Christ has instituted, we administer and partake of the Lord's Supper. Second, young people, I call you. I call you. God commands you to partake of the Lord's Supper with a believing heart. When it is clear to your mind, young people, who Jesus is, what He has done, and you're able to discern the Lord's body and examine yourselves, delay not. Make confession of faith and partake of the Lord's Supper. It's God's command of us as people. Third, you who are under discipline, or with whom the elders are working, unwilling to see and admit your sin, your call to repent and turn from your sins, confessing them before the Lord and before the church, you must show an urgency which gives evidence of your repentance and faith. Don't blame the elders. They won't let me partake. No. The command is to you that you repent and believe and then partake. Christ commands you to this. And finally, if you know, beloved, when we feel the weakness of faith, you are still to partake. Your faith is never a perfect faith. God's people will, at times, struggle with doubts. Your repentance is never a perfect repentance. You will never feel the degree of sorrow for sin as you ought. Though you must have faith and repentance to partake of the Lord's Supper. It is never a perfect faith or a perfect repentance. And that's the folly of the Netherlands Reform notion. 
that you must have a special experience before you may be sure of salvation and partake of the Lord's Supper. That really keeps the very people who need the Supper away from it. The very experience, though not special in the sense that a Netherlands Reformed person might think of it. The very experience the child of God needs is the supper where Christ assures His people struggling with the Gospel. We come by faith to the supper not to testify that our faith is perfect, but on the contrary, it is actually an acknowledgement that though we believe our faith is yet very weak and we need our Master Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our very faith, to so nourish us and strengthen us in faith and in the life of service to Him. May that take place today and also at the table soon. Amen. O God, our merciful Savior, we marvel at Thy love that Thou hast not only done all the work for our salvation, but also at the supper Thou dost reveal to us that Thou art doing the work of salvation in us, applying all those blessings by the faith that Thou dost give. We thank Thee for the Lord's Supper that shows, that illustrates Thy saving work. We thank Thee for the Word preached which explains the elements and the symbols of the supper so that we understand Thy saving work. And we pray, give faith, strengthen that faith, the mouth of the soul, that today already we may eat and drink of the proper and natural flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. And that we may be more and more united to Jesus and to one another. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hope PR Ministry Podcast. We are a part of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, and we are located in West Michigan. Our goal is to spread our distinctive Reformed beliefs. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us at hoperwc at gmail.com and visit our website at hopeprchurch.org if you would like to learn more about our beliefs. You can also worship with us every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 5 p.m.